You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hey everyone, TechFan274. This week, Tim plays with Raspberry Pi and we talk about the future of televisions. And it is TechFan number 274. I'm Tim Robertson. I'm David Cohen. So it's been a couple weeks since we've been on a show together now. Yeah, we both have busy uh, employment lives at the moment. Yep, it happens. Yep. In fact, I'm, I'm still at work now. I'm speaking to you from a secret location in London. Hmm. And a, <laughs> a fire alarm just went off in the background right before we started. That's right, yeah. I'm hoping they're done with that now. It was pretty loud too. Yeah, you definitely wouldn't miss that. No, they they um, this is a government building, so they take that sort of stuff very seriously, as they should. Yep. As uh, we're talking, it's actually kind of nice and sunny here, but of course, the coastal regions, southern coastal regions of the United States, is getting pelted by a hurricane, and uh, it looks like it's a pretty bad one too. Yeah, I was. Um I was speaking to my mother a couple of days ago. She's not gone back out to Florida yet, but obviously she was concerned about the, her property there. Um, and uh, she's in Palm Beach, so I, I was looking. I was watching the news this morning and I'm kind of been following it through the day. Looks like Palm Beach kind of got away with it, but uh, unfortunately, people further north, the uh, storms come in, and uh, it's not a nice one. No, I hope any listeners of ours, um, you know, actually get to hear this from safety yeah so and not just our listeners anybody you know we don't want anybody getting hurt out there absolutely but yeah weather Pro- is proper- weather yeah property can be replaced lives can't absolutely so yeah it's been a an interesting week uh tech wise google announced a new phone and i looked at it i looked at the specs looks like it's got a pretty nice camera in it though yeah, I, I they they seem to be pitching it. There was certainly the way it was reported as a kind of an iPhone competitor, but really, uh, I, I, Google does not have a strong track record of uh, selling large volumes of their own devices. Well, they Android always say itself. their newest phone is an iPhone competitor, and how much it's better than the iPhone. They do that every time. Yeah, but if it's selling millions, if the iPhone, that, if the phone that Google makes is selling millions of units a quarter, then it's an iPhone competitor. Their previous phones have sold in very small numbers. Yep. Um, and um, you know, we'll see see whether this one changes that. But I, there was nothing really talked about a new distribution model or um, a big push into the carrier space. There was no advertising associated with it. So I suspect it's going to remain to be something that, that the real Google kind of uh, developer base and, and, and enthusiasts buy rather than necessarily something that's a mass market proposition. I hope you're wrong. I think I think we need another phone that's going to compete with Apple and really push forward because right now it sure doesn't seem like it's Samsung with all their problems. Self-inflicted yeah. problems from what I'm seeing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and we, of course, any company can have a manufacturing floor creep into your production line. So um, 
you can't nec- you can't necessarily blame them for the the actual exploding phone problem, but they haven't handled it well at all. Well, and then they start shipping replacements, and they're having the same problem. <laughs> exactly. It's like who who at Samsung is in charge of re- the relationship with your development partners and your business partners because that's who's supplying the batteries. And yeah. there's obviously a major flaw somewhere, and you ship replacements after getting a huge black eye on your flagship product, and the replacements have the same problem. I'm just I'm dumbfounded by this. Well, I really am. This is this is when it when it this is where the rubber really hits the road about your your manufacturing processes, and and unfortunately. What I think a lot of people don't give Apple credit for is the fact that they are so ruthless about their supply chain and their manufacturing and their quality control from end to end. And the people out in California are are all over that all the time. Um, And you really have to do that when you're dealing with big Chinese uh, suppliers because once things come in from China, uh, once you reach the border with China, you get all sorts of possibilities of things going wrong if you're not all over stuff and if anything looks slightly suspect you have to be all over it because you know as you were talking about on your on the the last show you did you bought a legitimate what was looked like be a legitimately labeled sandis product um and it's it's either defective or it's a fake or both haven't determined Uh, yet by the way yeah (laughs) but and and that's the sort of thing you unfortunately comes out of factories in china sometimes and you have to you have to deal with that and you have to make sure and and it sounds like whatever this um manufacturing flaw in this particular batch of uh very large batch of batteries is um is is far wider than perhaps anybody in their manufacturing chain is prepared to admit yeah it's (laughs) i I don't even know what to think it's it's dumbfounding to me it couldn't come at a worse time for them heading into the yeah. holiday season. Um, uh, the iPhone just has a hugely successful launch of the iPhone 7 brand. Uh, they also launch you know, the, the new Apple Watches, which is getting positive buzz. Hell, I even have one. And yeah. Samsung beats them to market with their flagship product, and it's a dismal failure with recalls and... I just read an, an article where the replacement caught on fire on a plane. And the guy said, you know, well, this was the replacement. And he just went out and bought an iPhone instead. That was the end of the article. He just went out and bought an iPhone. And I thought, wow, could yeah. could Samsung screw this up possibly any more than they already have? I mean, it's, hard, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's hard to see, really. I mean, like my attitude would have been just pulled the entire line and after the second certainly i what i think they should do now is after the replacement phones apparently are still bad is you just have to kill the entire model yep you just have to say you know what these are off the market we'll give everyone their money back they can buy something else they want but uh, effectively the note 7 does no longer exists I, I don't see that they have any other choice yeah but but i don't think they'll do that i don't know man it's i oh. i can't imagine it being any worse than than it already is. I mean, it's going to yeah. cost them a lot of money to fix this problem, no question. But at this point, can you really can you really go wrong by just pulling the product completely? Well, they. I guess they'll be gambling that, in fact, perception of this problem outside of um, the technical 
interest community is is not as widespread as as perhaps we think it is and so that most people probably don't know that's a problem or if they do if they do know about it they'll forget about it very quickly that's kind of what i I think that samsung's hoping for that this kind of gets swept under the rug as quickly as possible and people kind of forget about it i don't think that's going to happen i i think that it's it's one of those things that when people start looking at their next tv this kind of jumps out at you like well wait a minute maybe i i shouldn't get a samsung those things catch on fire <laughs> i mean you know I, this is something that look the the issue they're going to have is that um already people like airlines have banned these phones from their planes yep and you know airlines aren't going to in two months' time, go. Oh, you know what? Well, that's over now. We'll just relax that thing. That that rule will stay in perpetuity, and probably until Samsung starts lobbying the airlines to get rid of it. Um, and that's going to be a problem because then you've got lots of air travellers, and they're basically getting a message. And, and you know, the non-sophisticated traveller is going to go. It's just going to hear Samsung phone. They're not going to pick up its own model. And you know that that's how a, a reputation starts. Yep. And once that reputation starts and it gets into like the public consciousness, it's very difficult to dispel. It is. And that's kind of where they are right now. Yeah. So, and you know, honestly, I, I don't really, we've said a lot of negative things about Samsung in the past, but most of that has been for a reason. We don't just pick on a company or a product line because we don't like them or something. They, there's got to be an underlying reason. And the underlying reason here is they just keep screwing up. It's, it's, yeah, it's not the stuff they produce. It's the decisions they make. Yeah. Sometimes the decisions they make affect the stuff they produce. They've done some stuff in the past that's looked very similar to other products from other manufacturers and not just Apple for that matter. No. Um, but it's the way they manage the company. It just seems to be... Um, a little bit disrespectful of their customers and you know anybody who listens to the show regularly knows that we that's something that really ticks us off mm-hmm. and look we call out any company that does stuff like this yeah in, including apple on yeah. a regular basis so. yeah so uh, last week i mentioned that you know the sd card problem i did get a replacement mm-hmm. sd card i went a smaller size 32 gigabyte instead of 64 yeah. uh and i started having the same problem with this one initially it just wasn't, I couldn't do anything with this SD card. Uh, but within five minutes, it formatted, and I was able yeah. to use it. So I got that problem fixed, and I installed it. I bought this little clear case with the Raspberry yeah. Pi. Uh-huh. And, it, you know, it, it came with, it, it, it's all super inexpensive stuff. I mean, n- yeah. nothing is like 10 bucks, if that. I mean, it was just yeah. nothing. But with the SD card installed, micro SD card, I should say, I can't have the case on, on it. It it hits this clear plastic little nub. So I have to snap this little thing off the case to be able to put the uh, the card in it. That's not good. No, I thought that was pretty stupid. Yeah. And But then the company who who sent it actually emailed me a free book, and it's a Raspberry Pi user guide. Mm-hmm. It's hundreds of pages. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I still wasn't really keen on the fact that I had to break the case to use it, but whatever. It's working. Yeah, that's that, that's slightly odd. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure I quite understand that, but um, hey, you fixed it now. 
So the process, <laughs> yeah, the process, David's been talking about doing this for a long time. I've been wanting to do it. I just did it until I listened to your solo show two weeks ago and it inspired me. Yeah. David wants to build an arcade around the Raspberry Pi using a front end called <clears throat> uh, Emulation Station or RetroPie is the build. Yep. And it comes with the operating system. It comes with the front end to the, the, how you operate with all the different game systems. And then it comes with all the emulators themselves. What it doesn't come with was the games themselves. They can't ship it that yeah. way. And so you simply down, you format your SD card. You download a disk image from the Internet. You write that image to the card. You put it in your Raspberry Pi and you boot it up. It's that simple to get it up and running. Uh, the first thing it does is says, you know, there's a controller connected. All right, push this button for this direction, this one for this one, that sort of thing. It's super simple. And then, of course, you have to get the games on there. And that's where it can get a little tricky, I think, for some people, David. Putting games on the Raspberry Pi takes a little bit of technical skill. I'd agree. Yeah, this is... um this is where you all of a sudden you realize that you're not dealing with a consumer device you're Mm -hmm. dealing with something where you have to kind of go to the edges to try and get things doing because it's it is a limited device and uh it has limited features uh and sometimes if you're using one feature then that means you can't use that same feature for something else so if you have an sd card slot in in there you think, okay, well, I can just put them on the SD card. But you can't do that because the SD card is running the computer. And so you'd have to then power things down and then load up the SD card on, on somewhere else. And it's running a RetroPie. is basically a Linux underneath. And so you have to start thinking about where you put things and how they're made available and permissions and all this sorts of things. So, yes, you're absolutely right. It's not a trivial process. It's not. But thankfully, I'm a little bit tech savvy. So yeah, I, I may do. What I did was uh, I FTP'd into my Raspberry Pi. So after I got the Raspberry Pi booted up and the controller was working, uh, I just went into the settings for Wi-Fi, joined my network, put in my password. It's on my network. Yeah. I go back to my Mac and I've got all my ROMs. That's not an issue. Yeah. I use a program called CyberDuck, which allows you to FTP. And that's file transfer protocol. For instance, I use it multiple times a week to upload all the RSS feeds and the podcasts to our server. So when we get done doing this and I do all the editing and put all the metadata in and create the MP3 to get it from my computer up on the Internet where people can download it, I have to put it on our server and I use FTP software to do so. Yeah. So I already this have. Is, go ahead. This is this. Yeah. This is how we move files around before we had Dropbox. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but Dropbox isn't going to work with my server. No, exactly. I, it yeah, would be great if it did, but yeah, you know, it's it's not there yet. Eventually, it'll be a lot easier to do this kind of thing. But right now, it's not. And honestly, I don't think anybody's even working on this problem. No, of course, because the Raspberry Pi itself is very much a kind of a hands-on user community type thing. I would say if, if anybody wants to do this and does, doesn't feel they have the technical chops to do it, I mean, go on eBay. You'll find for not very much money, people will sell you a pre-configured card with RetroPie and with ROMs 
uh, in it. Now, that's not strictly legal to do no, that, it's but, not. Uh, but you can find those sorts of products if you're so, de- so desire. And you could find the ROMs online as well. Of course, um, yeah, but th- then you're still stuck with trying to get them onto the, uh, onto the um, card. So once I was logged in to my FTP program, I typed in the address for my Raspberry Pi, and it's easy to find where that is because it's right in the Wi-Fi settings. This is the address. Now, yeah. that's the address locally. It's not broadcasting over the Internet. It's a local, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, just inside your house. Yes. So yeah. I log in, and I get a long directory of game system folders. Now, on the Raspberry Pi, when it's booted, you don't see any of these game systems unless there is actual games present. So if yeah. there's no ROM for that game, let's say Atari 2600. I don't have any 2600 games on the Raspberry Pi when I first boot up, so I don't even see uh the Atari 2600. In That's fact, right. I mean, we should probably explain. One of the crazy things about RetroPie is it actually has built-in emulators for pretty much every 8-bit and 16-bit system that was ever that yeah. ever had games on it. I mean, they're all there. There's about 30 of them. Um, and, yeah, as you say, it, it as, soon as, as soon as you populate it with a game, then uh, all of a sudden it appears in the menu list for you to uh, select. It's not the most user-friendly way of getting into this hobby to be honest. But there's something neat about locating the games, saving them on your computer, using an FTP program to put them in the right directory. When I say directory, I just mean a folder. I go into the folder that says Atari 2600 in my FTP program, and I drag my files over. I I drag probably 500 Atari 2600 games over to it. 500 games, David. It took about two seconds. I mean, the ROM files but, for those old games are just nothing. They're, they're really small, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I could put every single one of those... Every single ROM for the Atari 2600 is smaller than the size of this episode. Yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, you reboot the Raspberry Pi, and there's a reboot command, or you just unplug it and plug it back in. It really makes no difference. Yeah. And then they just show up, and you can start playing games. And so I've got most of the console games on there that I want. What I'm having problems with is the arcade ones. There's mm-hmm. multiple arcade emulators, and so far none of my ROMs work with any of them. There's one that's just called Arcade. That's the only one that the ROMs actually show up on the Raspberry Pi. I put them in the yeah. other ones, and they're not working there. But every single game I try to launch, it it quits. It goes right back to the, for, for a better word, the finder, if you will. Yeah. And they're not working. So I think I need to get some updated ROMs and try that. I just haven't got around to it yet. But it's working. I, I was playing some Game Boy uh, games on it. Um, I, I've mentioned Burger Time is my favorite game. Well, yeah. I've you know I've got an actual arcade to play Burger Time on. But I've never played Burger Time Deluxe or Burger Time Advanced for the Game Boy. It's a real simplistic game. Graphics are very simplistic. But there it was. So I played it. Just immensely entertaining for me yeah yes it's it's very very cool Uh, i mean the advantage you have of a system like this is that you can update it you can put new emulators on there you can put new roms on there if you go out and buy something pre-built you can buy um if you go searching around ebay or some of the uh chinese sites like alibaba you can buy these little handhelds that have 
a whole bunch of NES games on running an emulator or um, Super uh, Gen- Sega Genesis or I've got uh, a lot arcade- of yeah, or even arcade games and that sort of thing. Well, the problem is they'll say they'll have 450 games in there, and then what you'll find out is they'll have. Um, all 15 variants of 10 yard fights yeah. were ever released for the nes <laughs> you know um and that, and that's and and so you don't get to che- you can't customize them you can't change them they're often very poorly documented well i the bought one that had super mario or uh, mario Mar- uh super mario mario or i forget which one the first mario game yeah and it shows like 10 of them what are they well each game in quotes is just a level yeah it's like, really? You can't count that as 10 games. It's one game that somehow you guys split up into different levels. It's stupid. Yeah. So so that's that's your issue. And um, the advantage of going this route is you can tinker. You have to have a bit of time and a bit of uh, willingness to, to kind of learn a little bit. But you can tinker and you can get it working and doing just exactly what you want. And the advantage of the Raspberry Pi is that it's completely expandable. If you decide you don't want to use a USB controller with that, but you want genuine original Super Nintendo um, controllers, for instance, you can buy a control block. There's a row of pins on the top of the Raspberry Pi that um, is effectively its input-output interface, and, and that is kind of an open standard. And you can buy a block that will let you wire pretty much anything into that you want, and then you can configure it in RetroPie, and then you can have you know a full original arcade stick if you want or a a super nintendo controller or kind of whatever you want you can customize it you can build it you can alter the application so it works exactly the way you want it which is why the the raspberry pi is is very popular as a as a kind of a basis for um arcade projects because it's so flexible yep and you you know you don't have to uh, necessarily do a lot of 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 programming or hardware soldering to kind of get it working flip side of that is there's a lot of all these classic game controllers you can buy on amazon or ebay that are usb now yeah so you don't even have to go that complicated route you just buy the usb version of the nes or or an atari joystick or the sega genesis controller or the fan whatever it is yeah even even an arcade stick i mean you talked about that and it's just usb at the end you just plug into the raspberry pi launch a configuration and just configure it no problem it's absolutely it's, it's and in pretty fact, you can, you, easy for moderate tech users absolutely and um and that's a good thing because i think it just has the right level of technical skill to whet the appetite of somebody who wants to tinker a little bit without making it so challenging that it's impossible unless you kind of spend six months kind of you know, browsing inside news groups and uh, chat boards and everything, trying to trying to subsume knowledge off people from their conversations. And as you say, it's, and and I, I mentioned when I talked about it, it's extremely well supported in from a community aspect. So there's a hell of a lot of documentation out there. And the guys who write documentation for um, the Raspberry Pi when they do a project, they tend to be pretty good at doing it very detailed, uh, without using a whole load of um, jargon and uh, technical shortcuts in 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 the way they describe it that means it's quite impenetrable no it's not like that at all it's it's very open very easy uh this was a this you know this was a system that was originally designed for for school kids so um the people who who kind of grown up around it have have kind of adopted that same approach so it's it really is a great it's a great way into what what i think some of us have lost now in in terms of what computing used to be like compared to the <laughs> shiny 
self self installing stuff that we get nowadays that um, doesn't really need a lot of effort. Very true. I, I'm enjoying it. I, I didn't notice the kit that I bought with the case actually came with a heat sink, which I'm kind of yeah. glad I put on there. It's self adhesive on it. You just there's two of them. You put them on the two chips, and it's good to go. But I'll be honest with you. I'm I, two things surprised me: how small the Raspberry Pi is, and this is the Raspberry Pi three. Yeah, it's very small, especially when you consider it has Wi-Fi and Bluetooth built in. You can ex you can export video out at full HD. I mean, yeah. it's really a powerful little thing, and yet I'm kind of surprised it runs as hot as it does. This thing gets warm. They, I think. The the Pi three, um, I I have one. I've not actually set mine up yet. I only I only got it a couple of weeks ago. Um, the thing is, they put all that stuff into the Pi three. It wasn't originally in the design. Right. Bluetooth, Wi-Fi. They beefed the processor up a bit. They put more RAM in there. Um, What's well, surprising uh, because we discussed the Raspberry Pi three before it came out, and you thought if they were going to put all this stuff in, they were going to raise the price, and they actually didn't. It's still exactly thirty. Yeah. It's Less than forty bucks. Uh, they just—they just basically were trying to make it easy to use because the first thing you had to do with the op- the original ones is you had to plug in via USB, um, and it only had two USB ports as well. So um, you had to find a way to plug in uh, an Ethernet or a Wi-Fi controller. If you wanted Bluetooth, you had to do that as well. You also had to plug a keyboard into it and a mouse, um, and you know, you were ending up with these kind of real witch's brew of all these connections with this tiny little thing in the middle of it. Um, and so they, they did that to try and make the thing easier to use, which is good. But obviously, you're putting more stuff into a design that wasn't originally designed for that, so it's not surprising. And you, you've upped the performance as well. not surprising that the thing's putting a little bit of heat out. And, and it's because people really wanted to do all sorts of things with it, and um, they wanted more power. Everyone always wants more power. You know, one of the th- reasons that I wanted to go this route was that I've been struggling with the mini PC. And the big problem there is Windows simply won't get out of the way in a way that allows me to turn it on and just play a game. Yeah. You know, the the thing that the entire video game industry has got away from, David, when you and I were young, you know, we'd have a video game system, a console. And you go to the store and you buy a cart. You come in, you key home, you plug it in to the game console, you turn it on, and you start playing. (laughs) That's it. That's all you did, right? There was a power cable. There was a cable that's running to your TV. And there was one or two cables for your controllers. That was it. And there was no installation of anything. There was no configuring anything. You put the cart in, you powered on the unit, and you played a game. That's not the way video... The closest you're going to get to that now is gaming on a hand, on a uh, smartphone or a tablet. That's the closest or, oh, you're going to get. Oh, or or maybe a maybe a 3DS. You still get Maybe 3DS. Yeah. yeah. But that's about as close as you get. So when I think about classic video gaming, I don't want to dick around with settings and I, I just I just want to turn it on wait for a second for it to start up, and then play a game. That's all I want. I don't want Windows popping up with these stupid, oh, you can still update to Windows 10, or we're doing an update, so you're going to have to wait. Or, oh, well, now this isn't compatible. There was some update that was installed, and now this thing doesn't work. And 
for whatever reason, the configuration file for this joystick isn't working. So I got to go back and set it up again. And mm-hmm. well, I, I was just, I was de-incentivized for from using that mini PC, which honestly isn't a whole lot bigger than the Raspberry Pi, but it just kept getting in the way. It really did, yeah. and I was just really frustrated. And listening to your show, your solo show really kind of pushed me to go, you know, let's at least try the Raspberry Pi. If it doesn't work, I'll just sell it. Who cares? Yeah. But it does work. I mean, other than my issue with the SD card, other than that, I've got, and I'm not exaggerating, I've got less than an hour and a half of actual setting this thing up initially. But once it's set up, there's nothing else to do. You just turn it on, you play a game. It's that simple. It's, yeah, it I could not be I, more know, simple. I agree. Now, and you got, I got to give props to the RetroPie people. They've done an, an enormous amount of work to make it that simple, um, but they have done, and, and people are interested, and invested in in doing that for other users. And um, the, you know, the great thing about a computer like this is it is a little computer. So, yes, you can turn it into a game system. But then if you want to do something else with it, well, it's not too much of a pain to, you know, put a different card in there. Um, you can even get I, – I actually have um, – Western Digital did a, a little Raspberry Pi um, hard drive kit, which is, is kind of insane. Cause the hard drive is bigger than the Raspberry Pi. Yeah. But you can basically um, – it's a, it's a little uh, two-and-a-half-inch hard drive. I think it's uh, about – 130 140 gigs something like that it's only small but then you know raspberry pi you don't need a lot of a lot of data storage um but the thing is it's the the drive the the hard drive is optimized so that it can be powered via usb port off the raspberry pi because obviously it's a low power system you can't if you plug a conventional usb drive in there it probably won't work because it won't won't get enough power through the uh, usb cable so um you can have that on there and then you can have hundreds of different builds uh, of different things then you can just switch to that you can put a bootloader on there. there's a thing called berry boot that allows you to boot different um installs uh, and then you can have loads and loads of different systems on there so you can have different projects and different um you can you might have a, a desktop thing set up you might have a browser set up some people i know have been kind of fooling around with um with containers and things like that on there some people use them as a development platform um, there's all sorts of things you can do, and then you can have them all there. And you can just choose the one you want, um, or you can just slip in the cards and, and do the same thing. You know, as as you found out, these um, these memory cards are very cheap, and if you've got a 32 gig card, you can partition that. You can have five or six different installs in there if you wanted to, um, and yeah, you know, it's a, it's a really great little system for doing pretty much whatever you want to do and and really that's what computing should be all about is you know starting with the tool and then saying right i want to do something with it how do i make that happen and then making it happen messing with it really harkens back for me to when i first got into computers now i got into the macintosh in the mid 90s and for me when i first got into it, it was all about experimenting and and tinkering and figuring out how things do that and i haven't experienced that in a long time but the raspberry yeah. pi does harken back to that a little bit now i needed a larger sd card because i'm putting so many game files on there not not the yeah. the ColecoVision and the atari and all that kind of thing that, that doesn't take much space but then you start getting into the arcade games you want to put a lot on there you want to put n64 games on there it's going to take some space so that's why i want to go with yeah. a little bit bigger of a card now i will say david 
the N64 stuff is hit or miss. And I don't yeah. mean the quality of the game. I mean the Raspberry Pi's ability to allow you to play those games. Um, yeah. I launched uh, Bomberman 64, and it takes five minutes to launch. And then mm-hmm. it starts to play, and then it gets a little stuttery. And yet uh, Mario 64, I think... Oh, shut up. Um, <laughs> it's my iPad. I said stuttery, and I think I thought I said, hey, Siri. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Mario 6... Shut up. Now, well, that's because you did say. Yeah. Sorry, I couldn't find a shut up, Siri, but you and your music. You can't plan that. You can't plan that we said those fateful words, so now probably a whole lot of people listening to this show have had their devices do exactly the same thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> but Super Mario 64 uh, launched pretty well. It's, it took a little bit longer than sticking a cart in an actual 64 and booting up. And it takes a lot longer than on my PC. I, I give it credit there. But yeah. once it's actually running, that game is fine. Yeah. Um, but so... Be aware, the more sophisticated the games, it's going to be a little stuttery sometimes. Part of that as well will be that SD subsystem that you're using as as a data interface is is pretty low bandwidth. Uh, And SD itself, anything that has to write back to the drive is going to be very slow. So your whole disk subsystem there is is a bit crappy too, which doesn't doesn't help either. But... um, yeah, you're absolutely right, and a lot of a lot of those issues. I, in fact, while you were talking, I, I I had a look around the RetroPie website. They actually have a spreadsheet on there that's a Google Doc sheet that has all the compatibility for the arcade games with the different emulators they have. Because the issue is, is that all of these emulators have been ported effectively from a different um, platform, normally from x86, and the Raspberry Pi uses an ARM chip, uh, and the quality of that porting is what leads to these sometimes these glitches, these issues with with um with some of the games particularly as the you know not all emulators themselves run all games all the time it's it's interesting you're talking about this because i've actually had a somewhat similar experience in the last week i got myself into a mode where i wanted to play some game boy advance games and uh I, I had a Game Boy Advance back in the day, but if you remember, the original Game Boy Advance wasn't very good because it didn't have a backlit screen. Yep. And I found that maybe it was just my eyes or whatever, but I could rarely get to a position where I could actually see what I was playing on the thing. So I kind of gave it up. And I know that after that, they came out with a couple of backlit versions. But I, I kind of, at that point, I moved away from Nintendo gaming, and it's taken me a while to get back. But my kids. Uh, have been big um, fans of Nintendo's handhelds um, and I'd spent a bit of time looking on eBay to buy um, the last Game Boy Advance they made the Micro Yep. which um, I've never I've never touched one but I hear it's a pretty cool little system with a really sharp screen and it is. absolutely I've seen one in person that they're they're pretty slick problem is because they're pretty slick they're also uh, they go for a lot of money on eBay um, more money than I was interested in paying I wasn't interested in paying 70 80 dollars for a, uh, something that, that I was treating as a toy but then it occurred to me that I didn't need to go out and buy um, a backlit game boy because we always had we already had loads in the house because my kids have gone through my they're they're on they use the um, D, the 3ds now yep 
but we've had I mean, my wife also plays them as well we have loads we have probably four or five different Game Boy um, um, 2D DS's and DSI's and DSi XL's and all of those things lying around the house so I just went looking for one and I found an old DS and of course it has a Game Boy Advance slot in the, in the bottom so uh, great packed it in my bag bought a USB cable to charge it and um, uh, went into a local game exchange store bought myself a copy of um, Super Mario 64 which was the port of the N64 one you just mentioned before that they did for the DS and it's fantastic it really is very very good um, but then I realised that um, actually I didn't need to do any of that because you can now buy these little cartridges that go in the DS and uh, much in the same way as with RetroPay you can pay all the old Game Boy Advance games, DS games as well yep. um, and they are they're tiny little things they're cheap, you put a micro SD card in, you load them up with ROMs um, all the ROMs are there available on the internet, now again let me caveat this by saying that this is not legal because these are games that Nintendo still legitimately sell but you can find the ROMs if you want to and certainly I, I, I'm not really interested in, in paying DS games because as I say those are relatively current things but I think the Game Boy Advance catalogue is is probably a bit more towards legacy than uh, um, than than the later ones uh, and those are the games I want to play I particularly, I found somebody had ported um, one of my favourite games of all time, Elite, which is the space simulator game, trading game they ported that to uh, kind of as a homebrew to the Game Boy Advance and, and I really wanted to be able to play that handheld and uh, managed to do it. And it's really, really cool. It's awesome. It's amazing that just a little bit of searching online will net you so many cool options to revisit. Yeah. Not just old gaming, but old tech itself. I'm listening to, kind of binge listening to a podcast. Uh, what is it? It's really good. It's now they're into video games, so but it's it's the old stuff. Um, I'm gonna pull up because I give credit where credits due. It's called uh, "They Create Worlds," and it's really really good. Um, I'm enjoying it. So, yeah. Yep. So there's I should, that. Uh, I shall add that to my list to listen to. Yeah, the one guy's really. Uh, I I haven't looked into their backgrounds. Uh, two friends, they grew up together. One of them seems to be some kind of a game journalist. He's interviewed a lot of people, although that's not what the show is. Um, and his buddy. And I enjoy it. I think they're they're really good. There's a couple times where the non-journalist guy is talking. He's got some kind of a speech impediment, which threw me at first. But um, he talks too softly sometimes. And I want to say, talk a little louder, dude. Because I have to turn up my stereo, and then the other guy comes on, and I'm like, ah, I'll turn it back down. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's still a fairly new show, so I think you'll like it. It's it's really good. I think they're both uh, doing a great job on that. I'm looking at the synopsis of the shows here, and, yeah, this is all the all this sort of stuff I'd like to listen to. It's, yeah. it's, it's very much about the history of the video game industry, which is, yeah, is very interesting. If you want a... Um, a summary of, of how businesses can grow and fall very, very quickly um, based on some of the mistakes that I think big business, particularly in the media, uh, make today. Uh, I think, you know, there are some crashes coming in, uh, perhaps in the movie industry, um, certainly in the video game industry, um, from the way people are going, because the, we're making the same mistakes again that, that were made back in the uh, back in the early 80s with all of a sudden, you know, games had... 
uh, and, and movies had too much money put behind them and the, nobody did the math to realize that, that it was impossible to sell enough product to actually cover the costs that were being put into developing and marketing these things. And I, I think the industries are making those mistakes again today. It does kind of appear that way. <laughs> David, let's take a yeah. quick break here and uh, we'll be right back. Now, see, what I'll do is I'll I'll throw in some of that stuff that we've been saying after that into the commercial itself. Right. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> and and but what will we do when it's no longer like autumn or fall of 2016? Well, we'll oh. Do it. We'll do a different one. Oh. It's, it's, oh. it's December 2016. And the and, and, still bloody podcast. Until it's not. Oh, Make us shut up. Kill him. Kill him with fire. <laughs> Back here on the Tech Fan Podcast. We love to get feedback from you guys, and we haven't honestly gotten a whole lot. Uh, Nemo sent us a couple. Basically, he, hoped, he was hoping my knee would get better soon, and it did. It was pretty much fine the next day um so thankful for that yeah and he of course asked if you were banging on the table <laughs> which i gave you crap no, about the last show <laughs> I, I you know what at the time i was doing it i wasn't aware that i was catching the microphone but i must have been catching the microphone on my cheek or something like that so i apologize yeah um but it's one of those things that after the thing's recorded, there's not very much you can do about it. And I, I, I went through the recording to see if I could pull it out. Um, you know, you can kind of sometimes at a particularly sharp peak like that, you can actually cut out. And I did remove a couple of them, but obviously I didn't see them all. So yeah. I apologize. No, no biggie. Um, yeah. Again, we'd love to get feedback from you guys. It's yeah. the show at techfanpodcast.com. Or you can simply visit one of our two websites, techfanpodcast.com or mymac.com. The show is posted on both of those sites. So we do want to thank our sponsor this week. Uh, but who is our sponsor this week? Oh, yeah, maxsales.com. You know, yeah. David, I actually used one of their products during my Raspberry Pi thing because I actually didn't have any of the ROMs on my Mac. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't do classic gaming on my Mac. I take that back. I have a couple NES ones. Remember I was talking about the Tecmo Bowl? That's the only yeah. ROMs that I have on my Mac. They were, so they're on that little PC. But I had unhooked the monitor and the keyboard and all of that to hook up the Raspberry Pi. And I was like, ugh, I don't really want to have to hook up this little PC again. Because, you know, I'm lazy. And even though it's literally eight inches away, just didn't want to feel like doing that. But then I remembered something almost all of the ROMs that are on that mini PC is actually not on the little PC. It's on the OWC Envoy pro mini. Now that's an actual SSD plugged into that little PC via USB three port. Right. It's a 120 gigabyte SSD. So it's extremely fast. So I thought, well, wait a minute. I, so I, I unplugged that from the little PC that was already powered down, plugged it into my Mac and I just literally copied from the OWC Envoy Pro Mini on my desktop over to my FTP program. So it was never actually on my Mac. None of those ROMs were. And right. it was so fast. It was so much easier. And I was trying to figure out, ugh, you know, I'm going to have to fire up the little PC. I'm going to have to get a USB disk to put in there and copy the files over. And I was like, oh, no, I don't. They're just, they're already on the OWC Envoy Pro Mini. 
So that made it a lot easier. Cool. And this thing is small. It's, you know, it's twice the size of a standard little tiny thumb drive, but it's an actual SSD chip in there. It's not flash memory. It's an SSD. Um, it's desktop class SSD. It's very, cool. very fast. And when I was working for OWC, I was showing these at trade shows all over the United States. People were going nuts over these things because they're so handy. Uh, 120 gigs is only 99.75. You can go all the way up to half a terabyte for 269. Yeah. So if you need quick, easy, extremely fast, and reliable storage, OWC Envoy Pro Mini is really a, a, it's ideal for transferring transferring large files from one computer to another. That sort of thing as well is ideal for if you've um, this is this is something I battle all the time. I have a I'm using my work laptop here, so it's got a two fifty six gig SSD in it. But I use a lot of virtual machines, and virtual machines take a hell of a lot of space Mm -hmm. up. Um, and you can put them on an external USB, but if it's slow, then it really slows the performance of the VMs VMs down. So something like this. USB 3 and SSD class storage would be ideal for keeping your virtual machines um, with you, but not actually on your computer. And also reduces, uh, and this this is something worth thinking about, reduces the, something like a VM is going to be doing a lot of writing back to the SSD on your drive. Yep. So it reduces the wear on your laptop drive, because um, these SSDs do wear out over time. And so... The more stuff you can access from outside the core um, OS SSD, which is built to your laptop, the better. And because OWC Envoy Pro Mini is an SSD itself, uh, speeds up to 427 megabits per se- or megabytes per second. Megabits per second. Um, it's it's not going to be slow for you. So yeah, go to OWC's website. It's maxsales.com. I'm going to put a link right in the show notes for the OWC Envoy Pro Mini. It really is a cool product. It's uh, you got to see it to really appreciate it and if you need to transfer files or you need quick access to files but you don't want to keep it on your hard drive, it's a great solution. So David, um, the other thing that I mentioned at the end of last episode yeah. that I didn't actually get into was that my Sony TV, which I've had for almost 10 years, it was the really the, like the third generation of flat panels. Huh? Uh, so it was quite thick compared to the new ones. Yeah. But, it w- it, but it was 1080p. It was 120 um, refresh rate. I mean, it, it was a nice TV. I started getting these green bands. And I didn't really need to do the research. I already knew what was happening. The LCD was dying. Yeah. And I probably could have fixed it, but the cost it would have cost to actually do so, I could have bought 10 of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you just can't do that. And while I don't sit in the living room and watch TV for hours on end, the kids do sometimes, but it's, it's the family TV. It's in the living room. Yeah. So it was time to get another one. Mm-hmm. I did quite a bit of research. I wanted price, features, you know, not necessarily in those orders. Features, honestly, uh, were the yeah. was the big thing. I, and I don't envy you having to do that because it's such a market now. There's so much, you know, there's so much stuff out there. And well, you know, 4K say, is the big buzzwords, 
but yeah. th- there's almost no content in 4K. So I wasn't really too worried about 4K. Yeah. I really wasn't. And I can't go over 50 inches. I mean, I can, but the way the living room's configured where you sit in front of the TV, it would have been too big. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all work under a budget, whether it's a huge budget or small budget. We have a budget. Yeah. You know, we don't want to spend too much money on something. But I also didn't want to go too cheap on a TV. I want something that's going to last for a while. So I did a lot of research trying to find out where I can get the best prices for what I'm looking for. I wanted a maximum 50 inches. But more than that, the next two things I wanted in the order of importance was um, 120 megahertz refresh rate so fast moving objects don't blur mm-hmm. and that's what my sony was i can't believe they still make them in 60 megahertz it's insane to me uh that and i wanted um a smart tv i wanted some apps built right in so i can do away with a box or two or the kids could watch something on youtube quickly and easily without firing up the apple tv and because quite honestly apple tv even the new one sucks navigating compared to a smart TV with the app built in. Yeah. But I also wanted a name that I trusted and Sony was at the top of that list. Now I know some people are, well, yeah, but yours just died. It was a Sony. Yeah, but it was 10 years old and years old. That's it's not a bad life for TV. No, it's not. Yeah. So I settled on, um, a couple different ones. And after doing some research, including Amazon, I found the best price was actually at Walmart of all places. Right. So Julie and I and the kids went out to Walmart and we spent way too much time there, which, you know, drives Julie crazy because she hates just standing in one spot, looking at the things over and over and over. And I don't blame her. Yeah. But I wanted to make sure I get the right one. And I picked one and then I noticed this LG right next to it. And not only did it have what I was looking for apps built in with an app store. So if the app that I wanted Specifically, in this case, Plex wasn't already installed. I could download it. Yeah. Wi-Fi. Uh, 50 inches. Uh, 120 megahertz refresh rate. It's running WebOS 3.0. Uh, and it was a 4K HDR Pro. And that's... I, what more do I need? And LG is yeah. a great brand. Yeah. So that's what I got. And I have to say, it's amazing so far. I am completely blown away with the picture quality. And I haven't even gone in to tweak any of the picture settings yet. I I don't even feel like I need to. Right out of the box, I plug it in. um, I downloaded Plex. It had a bunch built in already. I haven't figured out if I can remove some of those because I'm never going to use them. Like there's a cam one that I... It's, it's yeah. horrible. It's a it's a cool concept, but they put all this crap all over the screen. And you're like, I don't want to see all this text and all this junk. Just I would just want to see this live, live cam view of this really cool castle in you know Bolivia. That's cool. All this other crap on the screen is superfluous and distracting. But anyways, uh, I get it all set up. I'm enjoying it. The first thing I'm going to watch is an episode of. Um, Halt or Catch Fire. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite shows. It's a faux company from the 80s in technology. And 
Yes, it's inspired by the early days of yeah. Silicon Valley, isn't it? Yeah. And it's really, really good. I, I really enjoy it. Hmm. And I knew what the show looked like on my old TV and at 1080p. I swear to God, I don't know what trickery they're doing, <laughs> but it looked three times better on the new LG. It, I, it almost gave me... I almost was thinking, are they upscaling this to, to 4K? Because the detail is just amazing. It almost gave me a 3D view at some point. I mean, I, I felt like I, I could actually feel the depth between where the characters are and the background. That I totally Maybe, didn't yeah. get on my old TV at all. Maybe it's just your old TV was 10 years old and just yeah. the the quality of, you know, the entire, um, you know, workflow from processing the image, putting it out, and then the panel itself and, and all of that is just 10 years better development than what you had in before. It's, it's uh, maybe really it's impressive. But this, I see, this is, to me, this is the issue that the television industry faces. They're always pushing the next standard. You know, we had HD, and then we had 1080p, and then we had um, 3D, and, and 3D, and now we're going to 4K. By the way, there push- wasn't anything had 3D, nothing. No, no, and 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 this is the, the issue. They're they're pushing to get these sets that are capable of these things. Like you say, there's no content. I know some of the video games are, are going 4K now, but but even I I wouldn't buy a console that's 4K because basically you are just paying for something that can push an insane amount of pixels around, it's not going to improve the gameplay experience whatsoever. It's well, just going it's, to... It's just making... In fact, all it's going to do is slow things down. And maybe. it's going to be the same with, same with 4K content as well. Now, all it's going to do is it's going to show up more flaws. It's going to make the um, the cost and the, uh, the cost of production of transmission of file storage, everything associated with that, those 4D images, uh, more expensive and more challenging for the sake of a, an incremental improvement in picture quality. And that's why David has decided to get rid of all his TVs and go back to a bunny ears with a black and white 12-inch TV. No, I, the thing is, I just don't... <laughs> I think with TVs, I just don't think it's worthwhile being at the front edge of the curve. I, I, I would agree no? with you up until I started looking at this new TV compared to the one I just replaced. Yeah, but Which, spec-wise, that- was about the same other than the 4K stuff, which I'm not watching anyways. And it's it's amazing. It, but if you'd have seen that in the store, suppose they'd had Hulk and Catch Fire in the store, and you and you weren't looking for a TV. Your Sony was working perfectly fine, and you just happened to be walking past, and you stopped and looked at it for a minute. Do you honestly think it would have been good enough for you to say, you know what, I need to go home, put my Sony up on eBay, and buy one of these? No, because the stores, no. the that's the struggle with retail and television you can never really tell the picture quality or how good it is in the store the lights are too bright there's 20 other screens around you as much as you want to focus on the tv you're looking at which by the way they've probably cranked up a whole bunch of settings to make it as bright as possible in the store to get your attention it's the it's the worst place to shop for a tv it really is you get at home in your environment and the the quality of what you're buying it for the picture quality and the sound quality to be honest yeah. blew away my my old one i mean it's uh, you can't even compare them uh, but the point is is that is not 4k content that's blowing you away no but you could, imagine how you much could've... better it is with 4k because i'll be honest with you i did watch a netflix show luke cage one yeah. episode in 4k and it looked amazing it really yeah. i mean it, but, it looked fantastic 
but you still only watch one episode in it. Why didn't you watch all of them in 4K? Uh, because the kids have been playing video games in there, so I watched the rest on my computer. Right. But if they weren't playing video games in there, I totally would have been in there playing or watching it because it it looks so good. It, it, yeah. I will say, David, and I'm the first one to say 3D was a gimmick. No, it, yeah. it was it was crap. Yeah. Content that's actually recorded in 4K, which doesn't cost them anything more because they're constantly updating that technology anyways, really looks fantastic on a good TV. It really does. You don't see it on a smaller, say, under 45 inch. You don't really notice the difference. On a large TV, saying, you do. The point I think I'm trying to make is that if you'd have bought that, exactly that same spec TV but without the 4K capability, because I'm sure they do a model that pretty they much does the same spec doesn't have 4K and it mm-hmm. would be whatever, whatever it is, a couple hundred dollars cheaper or whatever, um, you still would have had that same experience of going home, watching that uh, Halt and Catch Fire and being amazed about how much better it was than your old TV. Yeah. Yeah. Point. So I think it's only, in my opinion, I think it's only real kind of TV nerds who get all jazzed up about 4K. Because Until I think you see else, the difference. And when you well, see the I, difference in your home, you too will get jazzed up. You'll be like, wow, that is yeah, really, then, really when, good. Well, when, when you're in the store and there's a $400 difference between the 4K model and the ordinary model. But that's the difference. There isn't a $400. The same TV is four ninety nine without four K. It's five ninety nine with four K. That's the difference. Okay. Well, and if 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 it comes down to the price, we can all afford it. Then I'm on board. It's already there. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. This the new technology that they started about a year and a half ago with the four K and the smart TVs and all that. It's already at the affordable. What are you beeping about up there now? I think it was telling us it's almost time to wrap up the show. I think that's what it was. It's like, hey, pay attention. It's time to wrap up. Um, yeah. So with that, we'll we'll wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. I'm happy with the new TV. Obviously, I'm glad you are. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm glad you are. And um, the yeah, I if if I were in your position, I probably still wouldn't go 4K because I have such a crappy internet connection. I can't watch 4K Netflix. Yeah, but eventually they'll they'll fix that for you. But I hope so. If the difference is for a whole lot of reasons other than Netflix, right? But if the if the difference between the two identical sets is one's four ninety nine and one's five ninety nine, and the five ninety nine has uh, HDR Pro Smart four K, which means the blacks are going to be even more black, even at ten eighty p. Which one are you going to go with? Maybe you go with just the non four K, but why not spend a little bit more money and get the four K one? Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, no, nope, good point. If it was significantly more, if it was, you know, 40, 50% more, no, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. But it's like, well, that's just a bonus because it had everything I was looking for. And on top of those things, which I was willing to spend a little bit more money for, for the smart and for the 120, for just, oh, look, I also get this is also a 4K TV. Awesome. I mean, 4K is not what sold me on this. That's not why I moved to this one. It yeah. had the 120, the one that I was going to settle for, 100 bucks less. I noticed at the last minute it was 60 megahertz refresh rate. And I was like, nope, mm-hmm. not doing that. I've got to have at least 120. So I, I'm just I'm just browsing. Uh, I mean, obviously, we're a different market here, and we've had Brexit, so we've taken a hit with that. So, I mean, I could get a – it looks like it's about – maybe another 200 maybe 250 pounds between a conventional uh 42 inch 
LCD panel with 1080p versus um, a 4K panel. Well, see, now at 42 so, inch, I don't think the 4K is worth it because it's uh, it's 42 inches, and so the pixels at 1080p is already super close together, and you add double that number of pixels, I don't think you're going to get the benefit of 4K on a smaller um, screen. See, see, here in the UK, people don't tend to buy as big TVs as you guys do. Right. 50 inch, 50 inch is pretty rare here. Well, I could have gone um, with the 55 with the same TV for like another $10, but that's just a little bit bigger than my room dimensions really accommodates. That's why I went 50. I capped it at, I, I don't want to go over 50 inches. Yeah. And the one that we replaced, I believe, was a 48 or a 49 inch. So effectively, it's the same size. Yeah, but if, it's if, just a really good TV. If I had if I had fifty five inch TV in my living room, my wife would walk in and start asking where the popcorn was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I get it. It's it's pretty cool. So we're yeah. gonna wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. We'll be back in a week. Uh, you good next week? I am. Uh, yes, I'm probably going to be not here in my secret location, but I should be okay to record. Awesome. So we'd love to get feedback from you guys. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, every time a new episode goes live, we're pushing it out to those social medias as well as stumbled upon LinkedIn. Uh, boy, it's, it's dig. It goes everywhere. So if you have some time, we'd appreciate if you can go and give us a review in iTunes. Uh, that does help. And in the meantime, make sure you check out our sponsor, MacSales.com. Really, that Envoy Pro Mini is, is a cool product. It's, it's definitely worth it. It really is. And we will be back in one week. See you then, David. See you then.